Welcome everyone to the Take It Home Podcast. I'm your host, John LaRocca. And on today's episode, I'm going retro. I'm going back in history. I'm going to take a look at 1985's WWF Wrestling Classic, the first ever pay-per-view of the WWF. And the reason why I'm going back in time is because, uh, you know, I'll, next week coming up um, is my son's fourth birthday. And again, big party, family in town. I usually record on Friday nights. Um, I have family in town, so I can't really uh, record because it's going to be just busy and crazy that Friday night and all through the weekend. So I was like, you know, I'm going to do a retro show. So I put a Facebook post out on our Fight Game Media Facebook group. If you haven't joined our group, check it out. It's a lot of fun. A lot of great intelligent conversation goes on there. Um, no one no one blasts people. It's just, you know, there's, there's differences, but it's all, you know, talk through like adults. And it's a really good community. So check out our Facebook group, Fight Game Media Facebook group. Um, so I put it out there like, hey, I'm going to be covering a retro show for uh, the weekend of you know, the 20th and 21st and 22nd, you know, and, and, you know, I got some cool feedback on some shows. And also, like, I reached out to some, uh, some of my buddies in the wrestling business who aren't on the Fight Game Media um, Facebook group, but they do listen to my podcast, the Take It Home podcast. So I was like, you know, hey, I'm thinking about doing a retro show. You know, give me your thoughts on something you'd like to hear yeah, hear me cover. And I got a few ideas, and I got uh, WCW Spring Stampede um, and from 1994, the very first one. And I really enjoyed that pay-per-view. And if, if I had to go back and think of all the pay-per-views WCW put on, I would think that's easily in the top 10, might possibly in the top 5. It was a really well-done pay-per-view, and I really liked um, – the idea of covering that show because, you know, there's an interesting history of, like, the transition of 1994 from, um, I thought, in early 94, the first six months of 1994, WCW was doing a great job of, like, you know, setting a foundation for a great alternative to the WWF at the time. They were actually getting a little edgier. But, you know, as 1994, one of the big things in 1984 was... Hulk Hogan signs the WCW. He comes around the summertime, um, and the whole tone of WCW changes. So I thought that would be a lot of really interesting to go look back you know, at that time in WCW 1994 before the change happened, um, when before Hogan and friends got there. So I wanted to do that one, but you know, I know some people wanted to hear me talk about this pay per view, the Wrestling Classic. And I, I, that intrigued me as well because I think I've only watched this pay-per-view probably once, maybe twice. So it's been a very long time. So I was like, yeah, I'd like to go back and check it out. So on this episode of Take It Home Podcast, as I said earlier, I'm going to be covering the Wrestling Classic from 1985, the first pay-per-view from the WWF. I'm going to talk about the show itself, but I'm also going to talk about what, how I would have booked it, what I would have done. Um, it's a very interesting show. Um, some good stuff, some bad stuff, 
some really cringy stuff that's going to talk talk about soon here. So uh, let's get right into it. Again, as I mentioned, this is the first ever WWF pay-per-view. A lot of people think WrestleMania 1 was the first one, but that was all on various different closed-circuit locations. Um, it was a huge success, and you know, Vince McMahon threw all his eggs in his basket for WrestleMania. And if that, you know, WrestleMania didn't work out, the wrestling would have looked totally different than what we than what we remember it. You know, as we know it today, like it, you know, I don't know if WWF even around, right? So, but pay per view was starting was starting out, and it's you know, limited people got it, limited people bought it. It's you know, and so the WWF decided to try try this out, this new media for uh you know for fans you know the you can't be in the building could order it and watch it on their television um this show took place on november 7th 1985 at the rosemont horizon in rosemont illinois and according to what i saw all the, all the different uh, uh sites i was looking at just kind of do some research on this it was it drew fourteen thousand fans and it looked and it did look a lot of fans. The place looked really good on 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 television. Um, the pay per view by the way was forty seven thousand buys, but again, this is pay per view in its infancy, and it was considered a, a good success. And then, of course, WrestleMania two would be the next one, and, and that I think did I want to say two hundred thousand buys. So it, it I mean, pay per view just started really gaining momentum after this. Uh, this was a sixteen man single elimination tournament. They had one bonus match, which featured Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Piper for the WWF Heavyweight Championship. On this pay-per-view, they also had a giveaway, a Roy's Royce giveaway uh, for uh, you know, a lot of fans wrote in what they did, and they, you know, get their name in the hat for this Rolls Royce. So they gave it to a lucky winner. I don't remember. I don't even. I, I forgot to write down who the one, so I apologize. But someone won the damn Rolls Royce. Um, the commentators on the show were Grill Monsoon and Jesse Ventura, the very classic uh, late 80s, mid to late 80s uh, uh, WBF commentary team. Um, that's the team I, you know, first heard talk in wrestling, and they were that, you know, my favorites at the time until I, you know, discovered Jim Ross and Bob Cottle from WCW. Um, so, but yeah, Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura, when I hear them talk together, it just brings me back, right? Just puts me right back as a kid watching WBF. I do prefer ultimately Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan together, but there's just that Monsoon Ventura, uh, combination just, just, like I said, just trans, transports me back. Um, they had event hosts, of course, being the first pay-per-view of the WWF. You know Vince McMahon's going to be on the television. And he was up on a stage with Lord Alfred Hayes and a model named Susan Waitkiss. Now, this is where the cringeworthy stuff goes on here. Throughout the show, they would cut back and forth between uh, you know Vince McMahon and Susan Waitkiss and Lord Alfred Hayes. And Susan would, you know move whoever moved on to the next round their picture over to the next round and you know they you know it's like i said it's 1985 so there was all these great graphics and everything that they were could, could show um it was just basically like little pictures of each 
competitor to the tournament. And one of the pictures of Don Morocco, just like the worst picture anyone could think of him. And they used it. I don't know if that was a rib or not. And also, like, Vince McMahon is on this stage and the board is to the right, but it's not really that clear. Um, it's a really tight shot. So I don't know if they had a much room to film here. Um, there's also like this blue wall, but it looks like a, just a blue tarp. It just looked kind of cheap here. Very funky stuff. And they, okay, so after each round, they would cut back to them where there'd be an interview with someone upset about how they lost a match would show up and, and, and cause a stir up there. But at times when they would cut back to Vince, Lord Alfred, and Susan Wakis, Lord Alfred Hayes would be molesting Susan Wakis. I mean, he would, at one point, he's just holding her with a smile on his face, and she's totally uncomfortable. It's very awkward um, and very disturbing to watch, especially in 2022. I, I felt it should have been disturbing to watch in 1985, but... I guess they thought this was funny comedy, but it really was not. And she, she was a good sport about everything for the most part, some of the comments they made towards her. Uh, but this one moment where they cut back and Lord is just basically hugging her so tight, you know, basically rubbing his junk up against her junk and just holding her. And with this creepy pedophile uncle look on his face like it was just i i it's so bizarre and i just could not believe what i saw i don't remember this so i don't know what version i originally saw if it was cut out because or i just fast forward these kind of segments which i usually never did so it was just disturbing really disturbing so but so this that was a cringe of this show now Again, a 16-man tournament. Um, I want to talk about the ring real quick. It was not the traditional WF ring. I'm guessing it's a ring that was at the Rosemont Horizon already that they use for wrestling shows. This is, you know, they had a traveling ring, I believe. The t- I believe. I think in 1985 they didn't really use traveling rings probably till later. But this ring was an 18 by 18 ring, and it was super bouncy. I mean. You know, that I, I remember my dad, he's like, yeah, there's like a trampoline in there. Well, in this case, like, he would be right because they're, you could, when they bump, you see there's this bouncing up or when they're, they're bouncing up in the ring, like they're just, you see the whole ring bounce up. It's, it's just really distracting. Um, and really awkward for a WWE event because I was always used to the bigger ring that, you know, the, the 20 by 20, but they had here the 18 by 18, which I prefer that size of a ring. Um, the look of it. For WWF, I'm just so used to 20 by 20. I just, you know, and that looks awkward when you see the 18 by 18. I'm not a fan of 16 by 16 rings, but I'm getting used to it because I'm seeing a lot, you know, a lot of the European promotions use it. Um, some indies use it. Um, I, I, you know, for all the promotions I worked for, we always had an 18 by 18. So that's probably why I'm more, I'm more uh, uh, biased towards an 18 by 18. But um, you know, it's, it's, it's just I think the perfect size but anyway so let's get into the matches right the first match was Adrian Adonis and he's at this time he wasn't the adorable Adrian he was still the biker New York gimmick Adrian Adonis and he pinned Corporal Kirshner 
in three minutes and 20 seconds. All these first round matches are very short because like, you know, a 16 man tournament in a three hour show, it's, it's, it's just what you're going to get. You can get short matches. Uh, Adonis Dominus match. It didn't really give Kirshner much. You know, Kirshner, he was uh, a jobber in the WWF as RT Reynolds. And, you know, he was pushed as a new American hero rep- replacement for Sodger Slaughter. When Sodger Slaughter left the WWF in 1984. Uh, he was chosen because it was discovered that he legitimately had it was a U.S. Army paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division, and he was as 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 awkward in a crowbar he was in the ring. Like he he was still over. So like it was like easy American pride gimmick. It just didn't you know just people liked him. Um, of course, Corporate Kirshner, We just lost recently. He just he just passed away, I believe, in late 2021. Um, he had a, a very long career, second secondary second life on his career, going to Japan as Leatherface in FMW and Wing and I believe IWA, um, you know the garbage wrestling. And I know everyone who you know John LaRocca, He only likes you know classic wrestling. You know like he likes the classic wrestlers. He likes the Timothy Thatchers and I do. I love those type of wrestlers. Timothy Thatchers, Jeff Cobbs, Thomas Santels, you know, I like the workers, right? But I do enjoy a gimmick. I do enjoy I enjoy the big man wrestlers. I but I also enjoyed a gimmick and if I had to get a list of top 10 gimmicks in that top 10 would be Leatherface. I was fascinated by the horror movie characters in wrestling. And of all the ones I saw, my favorites were Jason the Terrible and Leatherface. Freddy wasn't into, just you could tell it was his Halloween mask and whatnot. But like Leatherface, I mean, he looked awesome. He's a big dude. Of course, Kershaw's a big dude. Didn't look big in this WWF, but like in Japan, he looks like a, just a a giant of a man and he comes out with that that leather uh, that that leather face awesome leather face mask and the the and the the chainsaw spitting out the sparks just really cool stuff so adonis here one with this unique version of the det basically like you're setting a guy in a suplex so you have the guy's arm over your neck and you're gonna put him up for a suplex but instead of you know to the traditional way where you just, you know, front face like a guy and drop down for a DT. Like I said, he had him in a position as a suplex and he kicked his left leg out to the side, uh, across his body and he just dropped Kirshner. It just looks so sweet. I've ever, I've ever seen a DT like this again. And you know, what old is new again? I think someone steal this DT. Um, and like I said, it was basically just a, it's just, just a glorified, uh, squash match here match number two was a lot of fun i loved this when i first saw it i thought it was so brilliant dynamite kid one half the british bulldogs the smallest guy in the tournament though he's jacked to the gills here versus nikolai volkov um and dynamite kid pinned this in nine seconds and it was just awesome volkov you know he does his national russian national anthem he's singing it as soon as he's done he turns around off the top rope dynamite kid comes off the flying drop kick and the it gets the win. The crowd goes nuts. I love this. Match number three is Macho Man Randy Savage versus Ivan Putski. And Macho Man pinned Ivan Putski in 245 with his feet on the ropes. Uh, yeah. This was Savage doing all he can to get a match out of Putski at this point. 
uh, Pusky, a lot older. Um, the when Savage, you know, double legged him and put his feet in the corner for the pin. Ivan Pusky sitting there trying to tell the ref, pointing the ref, use the, use the ropes, use the ropes, and the ref's just counting three. It just made Ivan Pusky look like a total geek. If you're going to look like a total geek that way, might as well just do a clean job with the flying elbow, in my opinion. So, uh, But the crowd did boo, so, you know. But still, it just this was not a good match. Match number four was uh, Ricky Steamboat, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, versus Davey Boy Smith, the other half of the British Bulldogs. Steamboat pinned Davey Boy in 253. Um, this was a, f- a fun little match. Dave Boy was in control early with a couple press slams. Dave Boy hit two drop kicks and then went for a third. Steam, as, Steam- as Steamboat was hanging on the, the ropes, that's when Dave Boy Smith went for the third drop kick. Steamboat moves and Dave Boy crotches himself on the ropes and goes down. Ricky Steamboat pins him, but right after he pins him, you know, classic Bayface Ricky Steamboat. He checks on the injured Dave Boy. He's selling the, the nut shots. So great being crotched on the top rope. I love this finish. I remember Buddy Rogers doing this. Uh, I think it was Pat Counter Buddy Rogers. They do that. They do that for one of the falls in the match where uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was Pat O'Connor who went for the drop kick and missed and went into the ropes. I love that finish. Um, it's unfortunate back in the day, you know, today's wrestling, it wouldn't be a disqualification, but, you know, picking a guy up and straddling him on the top rope intentionally should be a disqualification. I like that finish, too, when the heels just get his ass kicked and desperately just picks the guy up and crotches him just to get disqualified. Um, I like that finish, but they don't they do not do anymore because, you know, guys fall and crotch himself on the top rope all the time. So it means nothing now. One of the many things that we've killed in wrestling. Uh, match number five, Junkyard Dog pin the Iron Sheik. Um, like most matches, I mean, I feel like every Iron Sheik match starts with a jump star. He just starts attacking, you know, starts uh, 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 choking his opponent with the headdress. Uh, I always famously remember him doing that, Sting and Sting beating him quickly. And this happened, the same, the same thing just happened here. Like he attacks him, usually maybe there's a couple of flag shots. Um, this caught. Easy heat from the crowd. JYD is so popular here, but damn, JYD didn't do much here. And he just won with a headbutt. It was just kind of like, blah. Like, why can't it be the thump? Like, if I'm this man, I'm saying, no, you got to go over the thump. Fuck this headbutt thing. I know that's one of your moves, but it's fun to do the setup. But let's give these people in the first round a nice, solid win for and give get the thump. Uh, match number six. This, I totally forgot this happened. And... I loved it, but also a disappointment at the same time is Moondog Spot. This is match number six. Defeated Terry Funk by countout in 27 seconds. Let that result sink in. And here's what happened. Terry Funk said he didn't want to fight Spot, and Spot agreed. Uh, Funk said they would walk out together in a sign of solidarity. As they both left the ring, Funk attacked Spot on the outside, and he's like, go to steal one right the refs at this time still putting the count on and as terry funk tries to get back the ring spot makes a little comeback and he gets in the ring and wins by count out and uh you know funk goes crazy and it was it was the fans pop the fans pop big for it It was totally upset and i was shocked by it um but uh and i was bummed like wait now terry funk's out of this tournament i didn't remember i thought thought, like i was so happy to see him in this tournament but Really creative finish. Um, 
just I wouldn't have done it here. I don't know. But it was really well done. I liked it. Match number seven was Tito Santana and Don the Rock. Morocco. I don't think it's the Rock at this point, but uh in four minutes and seventeen seconds. This match is in the in this opening round being so short. This felt but it felt like a long match because it's four minutes long, right? Um this was a good match. Solid wrestling. You know, Don Morocco is looking really heavy here. Um he hasn't yet transitioned to his super juiced look in the eight, you know, it was at 87, 88, but He's just really heavy here. It's a more of a slower pace match. The, the, the story of the match is Morocco's working on uh, the leg of Tito Santana. Of course, Tito Santana will keep selling that throughout his additional matches in the tournament. Uh, match number eight. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Paul Orndorff defeated Bob Ward Jr. by disqualification in six minutes, 28 seconds. Um, this, Like I said, this was a fun and wild match. Both guys are just awesome workers. Love Paul Orndorff. Love Bob Ward Jr. Uh, order of one disqualification when uh, Orton hit him with his loaded cast. So that's the opening round. Um, lot, like I said, a lot of short matches, and that's what you're gonna get when you do a 16 man tournament for a three hour show. Now they went right into the quarterfinals right after this. There, I thought there would be a match to break it up, maybe a tag match or something like that between the rounds, but no, they just went right into the uh. The tournament, which they had, kind of had to do because of, like, again, of the so many matches on the card. Even though they're short, there's still a lot of them, and they got to quickly get through them. Uh, match number nine was Dynamite Kid. He pinned Adrian Dawes in six minutes. This was a good match. Good, solid match. Uh, Dynamite won when uh, Jimmy Hart's interference and megaphone backfired on Adonis. Uh, when Adonis took the bump, he fell on the megaphone and breaking it in the, in the, in the ring. And I thought that was... Pretty funny, just the way it all worked out. And there's Jimmy Hart holding the <laughs> broken megaphone. Uh, match number 10, a preview of what was to come in 1987. Randy Savage pinned Rick Steamboat in four minutes. Um, just right off the bat, you can see these guys. They were given more time. They would have put on something special here. Uh, uh, Savage won when he hit Steamboat with brass knuckles. Um, it, you know, also known as just tape rolled up. Um, <laughs> and you know, nice way to protect Steamboat in his finish and get add more heat to Savage as he goes on in this tournament. But, um, God, I just wish this, wish they would have gave me 10. You know, like, I, I don't mind the finish, the finish is cool. You know, I, I don't mind Savage cheating, he's the heel, cheating wins instinct. It, it, it gives Steamboat an out here, right? Um, but again, they would you know make it up to us in in 1987 WrestleMania three and have their classic WrestleMania match, one of the all time great WrestleMania matches to this day. Uh, match number eleven in this tournament in this quarterfinals round, Junkyard Dog pinned Moondog Spot in 45 seconds. Now this was completely bizarre. There was no referee, and when Junkyard Dog pinned Spot. He literally counted his own three count. I don't know what happened, where the referee was, who the ref, where, why he was in the ring. I mean, Vince must have been livid. Um, Grill Monster, you try to cover this up by this was great. He said, uh, you know, that even though there was no referee, they allowed it because there's a judge at rings that saw spot was finished. So, 
the, 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 there's a judge at ringside that just get the the nod to yeah it's okay because this guy was done anyways crowd still pop they didn't like it was so short i don't even think they even realized what happened until girl monsoonio because girl monsoon is always going to call out the referees and in this one it was definitely justified sometimes I, he used to kind of irritate me and bury the referees a lot but uh this time like where's the where's this referee where are where was he at uh, next match the last match of the quarterfinal round um they did have a referee thank goodness uh, Paul Orndorff and Tito Santana battled to a double count out in eight minutes, thus both eliminating them from the tournament. Uh, this was a scientific match between two Bay faces. It was a good, good, solid match. Uh, one of the best of the tournament. Uh, Santana was, again, selling his lead from the previous match with Don Morocco. Uh, both these guys are just so damn good. Um, I used to, when talking to young Bay faces, like, you know, a lot of people say watch Steamboat, watch Ricky Morton, and they should definitely should. But I always would recommend Tito Santana because you know he's Tito Santana had a, had a long career, and he you know he did some you know former Intercontinental title twice, and w, former WF Tag Team Champion twice. So he, you know, but it's been so long that a lot of these young kids don't even know who Tito Santana is barely, right? So. Uh, but they know that the name is Steamboat. They know the names of the Rock and Roll Express. They know Ricky Morton just because they're these legendary, because they're legendary Hall of Fame tag teams. But to me, like Tito Santana is a Hall of Fame worker just for being so good in the ring, and and he's an amazing performer. And I would tell young Bay faces like watch him, watch how he sells, watch how he fights back. Um, uh, and same with Rick Martel too, as a Bay face and a heel. If you're, you know, he's. And Orndorff was just just awesome. So they both, you know, it was a bayface bayface match, completely scientific. Of course, things got you know tensions flared a little bit, and that's when they started battling on the out in the outside. And they both got counted out, and uh, uh, both then shook hands afterwards. So that was the quarterfinals. Now next up was the first non-tournament match and the only non-tournament match on this show, at least on the televised show. I don't know if there was a dark match or anything. Um, it was for the WWF Championship. Hulk Hogan defeated Roddy Piper in seven minutes by disqualification. This was one of the funnest seven minutes of action you'll see in wrestling. Both these guys are just... Hogan is on... you know. The height of his popularity here. Just people were just going nuts for everything he did. Piper was so hated. This was just a wild match from start to finish. Uh, and you know what? It went seven minutes. And a lot of people like would complain. Like, you know, the, the big battle between NWA and WWF time. Like, Ric Flair goes 30 to 60 minutes, you know. But in WWF, you guys only get like seven minutes of Hogan. But like, seven minutes of Hogan is what people wanted. And seven minutes of Hogan, when they watch seven minutes of Hogan do his thing, they're satisfied. Right, so there's just different territories, different styles. Um, yeah, I prefer the NWA style, but I also appreciate this. And like I said, this is awesome. Just constant action. Piper bumping him all over the place. Piper would do his little sneak shots in there, his little eye pokes, his little you know, you know, you know straight fingers to the throat. Love that. I missed the, the little quick straight fingers to the throat. You know, like. I miss that, you know. You got, you got to bring some of this, this nasty stuff back. It's just everyone's like, 
you know, their 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 heat or their they think being heel is just you know telling the cussing at the audience and yeah, it's just such a lost art being heel these days. Um, Hogan crashed into the referee who looked like he was seventy years old. I'm guessing maybe he was supposed to referee that junkyard dog moondog spot match. Maybe they're going over the breath bump with him and clued him in, and he totally forgot his assignment. I'm guessing. I don't know. I, I, I could be wrong there, but um, Hogan, you know, six foot what six or eight, whatever the hell he was, and he's just massive here, just running over this little skinny old referee. It's just something to see. Um, Bob Orton comes out and. Comes comes out to help Piper double team Hogan. The referee's down. Uh, there's a chair being used. Paul Orndorff made this made the save. The crowd just went nuts. Like I said, seven minutes, but God, this was so much fun. I mean, you, it's, you can just rewind it and watch it again just so quickly. And I highly recommend this match. You know, like just you just and it, it's a perfect match to just appreciate how hot these guys were. Uh, crowd like. At the Rosemont High Rider just going insane from the entrances to the the post match. They're just going nuts. Now we're into the semifinals, and there's only one semifinal match because the Junkyard Dog received a buy into the finals because of the double count out between Paul Orndorff and Tito Santana. And this was so bizarre that the Babyface would get the buy into the Finals and have, be the one that the Bayface would be the one that has the unfair advantage over the heel who had to wrestle three times. So very, very strange. This is probably a way to protect Junkyard Dog. Uh, this match is a pretty famous match, especially for the finish. It's Randy Savage versus Dynamite Kid, which is a, a, a bit of a dream match for the time. It went five minutes on the dot. Um, uh, it, you know, this was one of those matches that was all over comp tapes when I was tape trading and stuff. Um, it was a fun little match. Um, the fam- the fame, the finish is famous is because Dynamite hits a superplex, which he's standing on the top rope with Randy Savage. So there's a superplex. They take the bump, boom. And as uh, Dynamite goes to roll over to cover. Savage for the pin. Savage ends up cradling Dynamite's legs and pinning him. And I remember thinking this was clever before I did, as I, when I didn't know anything about wrestling. But then when I started, you know, really diving into the psychology and learning psychology of wrestling, like when I when I, I watch this back, it makes no sense. Like the guy just took a superplex, and so did Dynamite. He you know, flew off the top too as well. So how, you know, he has the wherewithal to get a cradle in. I don't know. I thought it just kind of ruined the superplex. And, you know, Savage did sell like, holy shit, he, he sneaked one out. And that was good. But I getting the flying elbow, you know what I mean? Like Dynamite would have been a fine with the, you know, he's a tag guy and on his way to win the tag titles and, 1986, so I think it would have been fine. If we get to a damn 10-minute match here, you know, we got close with an 8-minute match, but, geez, this tournament just has no, just no times. It's driving me insane. And loses the finals 
this match actually goes nine minutes. Uh, and the surprise of all surprises, the Junkyard Dog. I mean, it shouldn't be surprised he won this tournament because he's very popular at this time. Uh, def- you know, he defeated Randy Savage in the finals by a countout. Um, so Randy Savage came right to the ring selling the superplex by Dynamite. That was great. Uh, yes, Savage tried to do the uh, the old stall majority of the first part of the match. Um, got some good heat there, but I really thought JYD looked awful here. He's slow. He's not. He looks in decent shape though. He's not like mid south nineteen eighty two shape, but he he looks like a little slimmer. But he's not as like cut like he was in nineteen eighty two. Um, I mean, he had the buy and he all just looked blown up like right away in this match. Um, Savage when he finally took over the heat on the outside, uh, did a couple of his trademark flying axles before. I just loved that. I thought those were so awesome and so dangerous. Now we got guys doing climbing up ladders and diving out on chairs and shit. It's fucking nuts. Um, you know, Savage is he's doing his best here. Like he's literally wrestling a wall with JYDs, not doing much. He just resting on his charisma here. You know, like just just he just he's just getting by with on that. Like his popularity. Um. JYD backdrop Savage. Savage always took that great backdrop with the top rope. One of the best backdrops with the top rope. Best bumps over the top rope, in my opinion. It, every time he did it, it was like, oh my God. Like it just just took my breath away. Cause I'm like, oh my God, he's gonna die. Like every every time I think he's gonna get just he's gonna be done for. But no, you know, he's he just does it so perfectly. Um and he and JYD was my count out. So freaking anticlimactic. And I couldn't understand why they didn't bring back this show. Um, and the post had a post match. They guys had they had some time, I guess here. And me and Gene uh, interviewed JYD, which was the setup because uh, Gene did come out during the finals, so you knew he was going to interview the winner. Um, uh, Jesse Butter actually just jumps up and interrupts JYD, and he's he's complaining that JYD had an unfair advantage because he received a buy into the finals and Sam had to wrestle three times. It's like. And they just kept arguing. That was it. That was the end of the pay-per-view. And it went off the air. So, very strange show. Um, fun to look back at and see. Um, but this could have been so much better, in my opinion. And so, I really started thinking, like, what would I have done? You know, these, you know, looking back and reshuffling the the cards, how you would book it. It's, it's pretty easy to do, you know, because you know, this has already happened, right? So, we just hit, you know. But, like... It's always fun to kind of do that. I still love doing that with a lot of shows like Battle Bowl 91. I, you know, the Starcade. I just, how would I do a normal Starcade without the Battle Bowl? Uh, Starcade 89 with the Iron Man tournament. What, what would have been if it was just a standard, you know, non tournament show? What would that Starcade look at? I loved doing that as a kid. And um, it just uh, always enjoyed that. It was always fun to me. I was just always you know, into the creative process of wrestling, the booking side of it just totally fascinated me. And I just couldn't even believe when I got the opportunity to book. And, you know, so much fun. What a great learning experience. So so I started thinking like, okay, I, this is a tournament show. I had, This is a show I never had, did that. I never actually went back and said, oh, how I would book it. So it was fun to look back and think, what do I have done? 
And here's what I've done. First things first, shorten the field, tournament field from 16 to 8. Because we have an 8, uh, sorry, 3-hour pay-per-view. 16 competitors is just too much. That's too many matches for a 3-hour slot, right? I think 8 is good. 8, eight will give the matches some time. You could tell better stories within the matches to lead to the next match, just like they did with Santana, um, you know, with, with his injured leg going to the second round, um, you know, not 100% versus Paul Orndorff. I, I, you can still tell stories like that, like, you know, the repercussions of what happened in the first round leads, leads into the semifinals and the finals. Um, I, I, more time to tell those stories within the match. So that's why I would just go 16 to 8. Um, I would add an additional non-tournament matches to the pay-per-view. With only eight competitor tournament, this allows like an additional match or even two more or three altogether uh, to be added to pay-per-view. And this show is all singles matches. And I, I like to break things up with like a tag match and a, and a show like this and tournaments. When I do shows the tournaments in the past, I would like to break up with some tag matches. Just kind of give the fans a, a different look out there and um, separate the uh, tournaments from what they're going to see uh, just in, in the non-tournament matches. It's easy to f- easy visual for the audience, in my opinion. So this is how I would book it. So the round one slash quarterfinals, whatever you want to say, they would have 15-minute time limits. In this tournament, uh, in the original tournament, the first round had 10-minute time limits. But I'm giving these matches 15 minutes, the opening round. Um, I like the match with Dom Rocco, Tilo Santana, so I would have kept that match. Um, the story match was would have been the same. It would have been, uh, you know, Tito would hurt his knee and Morocco would continue to work on it. And, you know, eventually Santana would get the pin reversing a figure four or some type of leg hold inside, inside cradle. And like I said, five, instead of four minutes they got originally, I would have gave them 10 here to tell that story. And I would like to start. The reason why I like to start with Tito Santana and Don Morocco, it's a, it's a good, they're both good quality workers. I like to start shows off with good wrestling, right? Your your opening match is very important. That sets the tone. I like rest just starting off with wrestling. You know, no gimmicks, no bullshit. Just let them go in and, and the so the fans are sitting there, didn't they? They're waiting in line. They have their ticket. They sit down or they go get their merch. They grab something to bite to eat. And they sit down and they're so ready for watch wrestling. And so the first thing I always want them to see is wrestling. Um, has this always happened on cars I booked? I mean, it depends on you know if the premiere is easy to do. Um, my original run in APW is easy to do, uh, but sometimes you know. You you work with you know the promoter and and there's certain matches on the card you just gotta fit them all in but usually traditionally for me as a booker I always want to give a, a a wrestling match to open the card and I also don't want it to go out of the ring um, I want it to be in the ring uh, I just want them to I want the fans to see wrestling and enjoy wrestling right and then you can start adding all the shenanigans later. Um, so I would have that open the show. Like I said, wrestling, get the fans into. We're here to see a wrestling show. Now I hit them with the star power. Adrian Adonis would come out, would be would defeat Junkyard Dog by disqualification here. 
Star Power B, Junkyard Dog, right? He's over in 1985, super popular. But like, like from what I saw on the pay-per-view, he needs a good dance partner. He needs someone that's going to bump his ass off for, for him to make him look good. And Adrian Donis is just an awesome bumper, awesome worker. And he would make this match entertaining. Um, I would do the old Jimmy Hart tries to interfere with the megaphone. Uh, you know, the lead into the takeover, lead into the cutoff, excuse me. You know, some interference from Jimmy Hart. Big comeback from JYD after some heat. A little bit of a ref bump in which the referee's not down for a long time. He's just, you know, he just misses Jimmy Hart jumping up and giving Adrian Donis a megaphone to use. JYD, you know, as Donis holds the megaphone up to go, you know, KO JYD with it. JYD would kick Donis in the gut, grab the megaphone. As I see, grabs the megaphone. The referee who took that little bump starts coming to a little bit or shaking off his, shaking off the. The cobwebs a little bit, turns around, and he sees JYD clocking Adrian Donis and disqualifies JYD. And I think that's a good way to, you know, have JYD on the show. Again, a popular guy on the roster, but also don't have him go along this tournament because he can't go in this tournament. Uh, and to protect JYD, I would keep this match around six to seven minutes. Bell, that's bell to bell. Um when I do my time, I'm I'm saying bell to bell. So if I'm given ten minutes time, it's bell to bell. Um, some people have ten minutes, but that's also which entrances. So you got like you know six or seven. But um, I used to tell the guys bell to bell because that's how I kind of structured it. And I would make when I timed out the show, I would make time for each entrance and post match, and depending on what I had. Um, another match I kept from the tournament, the original tournament was Randy Savage versus Rick Steamboat. Hell yeah, I'm keeping that match. And then hell yeah, I'm going to give him 11 minutes. I'm going to give him some time to uh, to do what they do and get, you know, after, the, after they see their favorite JYD get disqualified, the heels snuck one out and you know, snuck by to the next round. Let's give them some action here, right? Uh, but they will heart will be breaking a little bit again because I love the finish of the Brass Knucks. That Jay, uh, that Randy Savage, excuse me, did this Rick Steamboat. So I would keep it. I would keep that type of finish. Something that's going to protect Ricky Steamboat, who they obviously had major plans for 1985. Um, that they, you know, they felt he was going to be one of their big stars, and he ended up being one of their big stars. Of course, involved in a big feud with Rick, Jake, Jake Roberts, and then a big feud with, uh, of course, Randy Savage, and culminating at WrestleMania three in that classic match. And the last match on my first round would be Paul Orndorff and Bob Orton. They would battle to the double to the to a double count out. Um, the other two mat, other three matches on the card weren't really. It was Bayface heel, but it wasn't much too many rivalries really. I mean, there's the old Tio Santana Don Rocco issue that you know Tio Santana beat Don Morocco for the uh, Intercontinental title a long time ago, but like. You know they're they're not in a, they're not at the time in a feud. So this would be like what's going on now. Like you know Orndorff, you know, was a was associated with Piper and Orton, and after WrestleMania one, they they, they Piper and Orton turned on uh, Orndorff, and now Orndorff is buddies with Hogan, building that up as they lead to their big breakup and one of the biggest drawing uh, money feuds in WWF. 
Um, so there's the issue. There's a real issue here. So this is where you could do the double count out, where these guys hate her so much that, you know, they forgot they're in a tournament and they just want to beat each other up. They just want to destroy each other and they just they get the double count out. And this is where Randy Savage, the heel, gets a bye to the finals. I think that's that's what I would do here. Because um, I think, you know, it just was so silly that the babyface, JYD, got the bye. I, I, who, I'm surprised that happened. I'm, I do appreciate the 1985 Wrestle Classic for, I'm sure Pat Patterson laid this out, but obviously Vince had you know, ultimate, the ultimate influence of who's winning and whatnot, but there was some randomness to it. There was some, it didn't feel like so obvious. And I get that. I like that. With the eight-man tournament, there's going to be, in a sort of way, there might be a little bit of the obvious, but um, I kind of like how I laid my, my tournament out. Um, so again, you have two rivals here, double count out. It makes sense for them to battle double count out. Make it wild, make it crazy, because we're coming back to it later in this show. Uh, and again, the heel, Randy Savage, now gets to buy the finals. I think that's great. The next match is a non-tournament match. And this match will be a tag team match. It will be the British Bulldogs versus Nikolai Volkov and Iron Sheik. And since I just loved the finish of Dynamite Kid versus Nikolai Volkov, man, if someone said, let's do this, I said, let's do it because that's awesome. And I would do the same thing here. Just get the British Bulldogs over the big win, like just like how, you know, just how you saw. Boom. Dave Boy clotheslines, Iron Sheik out of the ring, and Dynamite comes off the top rope with a big fine drop kick. One, two, three. Quick win by the Bulldogs. People go nuts, right? I just think that would be perfect. Perfect. Next up will be the semifinals. The only semifinal match, because again, Randy Savage earns a bye into the finals of my tournament because Paul Orndorff and, and Bob Orton Jr. battle to a double count out. So Tito Santana versus Adrian Donis. Uh, again, Santana, uh, the storyline for him throughout the whole sh- tournament is he's you know coming into this run, going this match, his knees banged up uh, from his previous match with Don Morocco. You know, Adonis would, you know, really get some vicious heat on that knee. Satana would make the big comeback and get the win. And I would give this match 12 minutes. So I want, like, Santana, the babyface, you know, he obviously came to the match going in. Visibly, you can see he's injured. The heel is taking advantage of that injury. It's 12 minutes. Fans can see, like, when, he's, when he goes over and he wins – by you know a, an inside cradle or some you know catching the Adonis off guard, and then he goes into the finals. But fans are like, oh man, this guy he's going to the finals. He's but he's speed up. How he's gonna beat a fresh Randy Savage, right? Want so you want that that sympathy right off the bat on Tito Santana as he goes in to the tournament final versus Savage. Um, the next match will be. A non-tournament match, and it's a standby match. Now, Terry Funk, as I mentioned in the in the 
original show, Wrestling Classic. Had that match with Moondog Spot. Got counted out in 27 seconds. You got outsmarted by the Moondog, which is great because the Moondog, you think it's just a mindless, you know, hillbilly from Arkansas, wherever he's from. And, and you know, Terry Funk, of course, was livid. And there's a segment where he pops in and starts yelling at Vince McMahon or either BG in Oakland, one of the two. And he's just mad that would happen to him. And so I got play off that, play off that. So throughout the show, like during the times when you go to Vince McMahon, Lord Alfred Hayes, Susan Wait Kiss, but of course I would, you know, not want Lord Alfred Hayes to molest poor Susan there. One of the things of the show would be Terry Funk would pop up complaining that where's my match? All crazy, you know, from the double cross ranch, just wild and you know. Jimmy Hart's complaining, yeah, why does he have a match? And Terry Funk's like, I want my match. I should be in this tournament. I would, oh, why, are you, why are you protecting these guys? Oh, he's just crazy. He's mad. He's angry. So because of the bye into the finals, we got time, some extra time on this pay-per-view to put on a standby match. Just in case one of these matches goes too short, there's extra time. We got to fill our television pay-per-view commitments. Let's throw on it. A non-title match. And that non-title, non-title, non-tournament match, excuse me, standby match would be Jose Luis Rivera versus Steve Lombardi. And just as the bell rings, ding. So Lombardi and Rivera are circling. Here comes Terry Funk. Now the crowd might be like, what? Jose Luis Rivera, why are we getting this? Match, you know, good wrestlers, but why are we getting these, these, you know, these non-stars on a pay-per-view that we paid for, right? They'd probably be grumbling when they see Jose Luis Rivera and Steve Lombardi come out for a pay-per-view match. But it's just as they're about to grumble and get a little bit a little more like, I don't know, why are we doing this match? Ding! Out comes Terry Funk, Jimmy Hart from the curtain. Now all eyes on Terry Funk and Jimmy Hart. So now people are forgetting about, you know, they're seeing these non-stars, and Luis Rivera and Steve Lombardi, they're just seeing Terry Funk come down. And they're wondering, what the hell is he going to do? I want my match. I want a match tonight. I'm going to get my damn match. Right? Maybe, maybe Jesse Ventura comes out and tries to quickly interview Jimmy Hart and Terry Funk. What are you guys doing out here? Terry Funk's like, I said I was going to kick someone's butt tonight. I'm going to kick these guys. So he gets in there. And he starts beating up on a whole who owes a loose rare. Let's see Lombardi's laughing because they see Lombardi's a heel. And then there's Terry Funk just beating the crap out of Jose Luis Rivera. And there's, like I said, Lombardi's laughing. Terry Funk goes to him like, what are you laughing at? Smacks Steve Lombardi, starts beating the hell out of him. And then here comes the referee. There's like, get, get Terry Funk. He's crazy. Girl Monster. He's like, he's crazy. Get this guy out of this lunatic out of here. And it's just a great moment for Terry Funk to get on the peer review. He doesn't have to wrestle. Cause chaos, continues to be this crazy man that he was, the great Terry Funk. Um, so that's how I would do to kind of break up uh, some of the the between turn matches. Uh, it's, it's not a match; it's just a fun, crazy, wild moment, right on the pay per view, an, an unexpected moment. And then we go right to our our last non tournament match for the WF Championship, and. Of course, I would do Roddy Piper versus Hulk Hogan for the title, right? And I'm sure this match is what they did on the pay per view originally was the same match they would have, and now I'm okay with it because it was freaking so much fun and awesome. And and I 
would have the same result where disqualification, outcomes Orton, outcomes Orndorff, the Bay faces clear the ring, the pose down with Orndorff and Hogan. Uh, you know, send you know people won't care about the disqualification. They did, you know, they just want to see Hogan just send the bad guy away, right? And so that's what I would do. I thought that, like I said, I loved that match on the classic. They always had good matches, these guys. Well, not in WCW. There was <laughs> that was some dark times. Um, Age in a cage, I'll never forget. Uh, one of the, I mean, and I was a WCW fan, and I'm watching this. I'm like, this is not good. Halloween Havoc, 1997. So, uh, but this in '85, '86, or '85 mainly, '84, These fuck those Santana versus Hogan was. I mean, sorry, gosh, I'm all over the place. Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper was just just gold, man. The finals, uh, Randy Savage versus Tito Santana. Randy Savage would win the wrestling classic by pinning Tito Santana, who, by the way, is at this time period, this time, the Intercontinental Champion. So you have Savage pinning Tito Santana, the Intercontinental Champion, to win the tournament, to keep continue his rise, and also because just well, this happened November seventh, the title change to, with Santana and Savage for the Intergon title happened in February. So you're setting you're you're setting up this, you're setting up that for the future. So you, you this this accomplished a lot of goals, um, and of course Savage and Tio Santana's protected here because he again. Was working through a knee injury throughout this whole tournament. Wrestled three times in this tournament. Um, and this match, I would like, I would, you know, didn't have to go too long. I could, you know, a good 15 minutes. But definitely had to feel like a, a, a main event match, right? And and Santana, like, he's awesome. Savage is awesome. Um, they would have a killer match. 15 minutes would be perfect for this. Um, and by Crook, you know, Savage wins it. Um, maybe the knee gives out as, as, uh, as Santana's making his comeback. Maybe he goes for the flying burrito, maybe he hits it, but he may just kind of goes for the, uh, the figure four. Maybe Savage kicks him in the leg. Savage clotheslines him. You know, Savage, or you make, you know, maybe he finished all the top rope with it. Oh, you could do a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, Santana, even if he did the flight elbow top rope, Santana will still be protected because, in my opinion, the fans would recognize that dude. This guy wasn't upset. If it was Savage versus a hundred percent Tito Santana, one of our favorites, it would be a different story. So that's how I would have booked the Wrestling Classic in 1985. Um, I hope you guys like that. Um, I thought that was a lot of fun to kind of look back at this tournament and also rebook it how I would book it. So that I had a good time doing that. Um next week because I like I said I I really like the idea of covering WW Spring Stampede 1994 that time period. I decided to do two retro shows in a row and so that's why I really want to get this one in Wrestling Classic 1985. But next week I'm going to look at WW Spring Stampede, look at the matches on that pay-per-view. My thoughts on WCW at that time I was I was a big WCW fan. 
Um, as a fan, what I felt about the promotion at that time, um, how Hulk Hogan changed things for WCW in many ways for good money wise, but like how it affected the quality of the wrestling, how it changed that. We're going to go into that. Um, Cause it's 94 is, is a special time for me. I love 1994 WCW. I loved it, but I mainly loved, really loved January to July 1st. Actually, and then and what was still good was the summer into the Halloween Havoc retirement versus the title match, a Flair and Hogan cage match. And once that ended, it was a quick fall off a cliff. I mean, Bruce Beefcake is now the, the, the challenger for Hogan, turns on him, and or Brother Brudeye. He butchered a friendship, as Bobby Heenan would say, and he'd be called the butcher. I mean, I if you had told me in 1988 that in the future a star game main event would be Hulk Hogan versus the Butcher, I would say you're nuts. But it happened, and it was ugly. It was one of the worst Starcade main events in the history of that. That great show, legendary, the granddaddy of them all. They went out there and stuck it up for, I think, 14 minutes of slow, boring action. But, lucky for us, I'm talking about Spring Speed 1984, which is considered, at the minimum, in the top 10 of WCW pay-per-view. So, and one of my favorite WCW favorites all time. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you like this trip down memory lane, looking at the, the wrestling classic. Um, let me know your thoughts on it. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you don't follow me yet on Twitter, follow me at LaRoccaJL. That's L-A-R-O-C-C-A-J-L. Love to hear your feedback on this show. Um, I don't know about this show if I'll get many DMs from wrestler upset with my critique of their matches. <laughs> ah, I don't know who, who would. A lot of people, unfortunately, a lot of these guys are gone at this right now. So I don't know. Maybe I don't know who's gonna call me and say maybe maybe. Uh, well, no, sadly, a lot of these guys are gone. So, um, but hey, I love I love the feedback, the good, the bad, the ugly. Go ahead and send it my way on Twitter. I'd love to talk to you about this. And is there any any more like? after I cover Spring Speed, like any other retro shows you want me to see. I would love to come back and do these shows, you know, in between as I cover, you know, the Indies around the United States and, and, and overseas. So I think I'm going to kind of continue that. So I hope, hope you enjoyed it and I hope you all have a great weekend. Be safe. Take care.